Welcome to Imaginative Visions Journeys, where creators from the entertainment world discuss their journey to turning their dreams into reality with your host, Justin D. Williams. Welcome to Imaginative Visions uh, Journeys, Episode 6. This is Justin here, and today we have a really, really great guest. We have director, filmmaker, writer, uh, Erica Eng, and we are going to be talking about her short film, Americanized, which has been all over film festivals, getting awards, and a whole lot. We're going to be talking about a little bit about her origins, her journey, and of course, as we all know, Americanized. So Erica, welcome. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, thank you for having me. And let's just kick this off with our first section, Origins. Do you remember the first moment or that moment that you fell in love with film? You know, I was doing photography a little bit before. My dad was kind of teaching me a little bit. Um, But I think like the moment I realized I really loved filmmaking as a whole when I was 15 and I was interning at KDOL, which is a local Oakland TV station. And I was on a lunch break from my internship. And I was like, I really like this. I was surrounded by cameras and those jibs and learning about, you know, the tape decks and, you know, transcribing and something about moving around that studio made me really happy. And it felt like a home. And that was before I ever shot anything myself. Oh, wow. So basically, you just fell in love with the camera, first of all. I liked making stuff with my hands. I think like I've always been a very hands-on person. And <laughs> you know, I wasn't a great school. I didn't want to read anything. I just want to watch TV all day like any other kid. I watch cartoons. And um, I just like running around and like, I, at first, I thought I wanted to be in construction because I just love working with my hands. I like building things and touching things and moving things around. So I'm a very active person. And I think filmmaking was a way to kind of paired together like just that energy of just like I want to make something with my hands but also expressing myself creatively and we definitely going to touch about um growing up in Oakland because that's kind of the main focus of Americanized which is something I really liked as well because it's just it's such a melting pot of just different styles different cultures all come into one we're going to touch a little bit about more on that um in a bit but a little bit more about your origin so that was the main First introduction. So when was your real first time you decided that you were going to actually shoot something? Well, I was uh, from that internship when I was a teenager. I was in a after school program. It's open to like open public school students. Mm-hmm. And um, I was learning like editing. I was learning how to shoot, you know, three point, you know, lighting setups. And my mentors at the time who brought me into the program, I was one of their first students. They're like, you should just direct your own short. And I was like, oh, I don't know how to do that. Because we direct our own like scenes for, you know, filming stuff, filming students. We'll do our own scenes, but we have other people help out. We, it's all a collaboration. But this is the first time leading a shoot. And I had no idea what a shot list was, how to put together a schedule. Like he was telling me, they're old school. So they're telling me how to do a schedule through strips how you take apart your shot list and move the strips around in a board to figure out your schedule. And Mm -hmm. as a teenager, I had no idea what I was doing. I was so scared. Um, But, you know, through their guidance, you know, I made my first short film when I was like a teenager 
and that one hit the festival circuit. So I was like 16, 17 at the time and hitting the festival circuit. And um, it did really well for the youth categories in a lot of film festivals. And the biggest one we won was the San Francisco International Film Festival. And I won the grand uh, prize as a youth and $5,000. So I took the money from that festival and I was like, I want to make my own production company now. Like I did my first film, you know, now I have that and now let's make more. So I bought like a Canon DVX100B and mm. a pair of Sennheiser lavaliers and a MacBook Pro with Final Cut Pro 7 <laughs> and just kind of made my own little production company and started shooting music videos and documentaries on the Bay Area. Wow, man, that's impressive because you just basically just jumped in Facebook just, just, just yeah. fell right into it, which which yeah. I always which I always always admire about other creators. They just just jump right into it the minute they find that passion, they, they know exactly what they're going to um, go for. I so, think also um, too, as a teenager, you're kind of dumb and yeah, like you yeah. kind of throw things against the wall. So I almost had no fear because people are like, you'll be fine. And as a kid, you're like, yeah, I'm going to be fine. As an adult, I tell them we would joke all the time with friends like we would never do this as adults. Like we'd be too scared. We know too many things. Exactly. Um, who were some of your filmmaking influences growing up? I want to be Spike Jones through and through. I still do. In my lifetime, I wish I could have a career like Spike Jones, of course, um, and Michelle Gondry. Um, but I really love Spike Jones. One, he also, you know, did the skate video thing, did the music video thing, did the short film thing, did the commercial, did the TV, uh, the feature thing. So just his trajectory. But I also admire Spike Jones for his freeness and creativity of not being. Um, just being creative like I on his director's dvd the, the I don't know if you've seen those collections it's called the director's dvds or something like that and each dvd is a like chris cunningham michelle gondry spike jones and um there's one video in between like an intermission between his videos and it's literally a long shot a long take of a door stopper and he just flicks it and you just hmm. hear the sound kind of dither off and then it cuts to the next video i'm like oh my god that's so Funny that he did that one, but two, it's so common that we don't think about. Like he thinks about things of the mundane that we forget about and he mm. makes it magical. And when you're thinking of like a low budget filmmaker who doesn't have much, you think about what can we have and what can we use that we have right now? How do we make that magical? And I think he does that. Like he did that back in the day with a lot of his work and, but he continues to make magic, but of course on larger scales, but as a short filmmaker and as someone who doesn't have any money, like, it's such a great representation of what you can do. Which I definitely agree with that, when, especially when the way he shot things and the way he put things together, just from a storytelling standpoint as well. Mm -hmm. it, it was just- That's how he observes, yeah. Yeah. And next question is something I really was fascinated about was you growing up in Oakland, which is basically the main premises of Americanized. Can you talk about what uh, what was that like a little bit growing up in Oakland? Because we see a little bit, a glimpse of it in American Eyes. And I'm like, after watching it, I was like, I, wa I want more. I really want more. Where are you from originally? Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm New York. I'm, I'm New York. Okay, what part of New York? Um, Queens. Grew up okay. in Queens. So, um, but me watching this, and I've been to Oakland, I think, yeah, I've been to Oakland once when I went to go visit my best friend. Yeah. And I was watching this, and, I, and, and just it reminded me of, just a lot of New York and just New York high schools as well, because everything is such a mel melting pot, and especially with hip hop, hip hop culture being such a big thing at the time. Everybody 
was just into the hip hop culture. I mean, you, everybody had their groups. I mean, you, it didn't matter if you're black, white, Asian. And one mm-hmm. thing I did like was um, Aang, the character Aang by played by Terry, who was rocking the braids. Yeah. And and as I was like, that's the perfect title for this because <laughs> it, it really, it really, it really oh, was. Everybody had braids. Cultural appropriation wasn't even a term that everyone used. It was just like a thing that people associated, in my opinion, with culture and with like coolness to say, but like, of course, we're understanding and we're appreciating mm-hmm. the sources of it of the hip hop culture and black american culture and i think that's really important to talk about because i feel like whenever there we're talking about asian american stories and being americanized being whitewashed i think the comparison is always being one to be white blonde yeah. hair blue eyes whatever but from where i'm from it was almost an insult to be called white because I, <laughs> it's just like you know what i mean yes so i do to call white per se so um, it was more of a, it was more like if you were down or whatever, then you were more about like the hip hop culture, or, like, you know, Oakland's actual just like street culture. And I think like that w- was the most popular thing. That's all the kids were trying to do. And so I think that it's kind of funny doing the whole braids thing and doing the appropriation thing, because I think it, it really falls along with the story of like, she doesn't know what her culture is. She's just trying yeah. to figure out what it is. Whether you do blonde hair, blue eyes, that's still like appropriating, like it's still trying to be whatever. It's just her version of what American is. And that should be a version that people should be talking about. Like what is American? Why does it have to be white? It's not white anymore. No, it isn't. Everything is a melting pot here. And that's one thing I really, really took from it. It's just like, just watching it and just seeing like the opening scene when Aang, and Aang is talking to her grandmother and grandmother's talking to her in Chinese and she absolutely has no idea. Yeah. She's just like, Grandma, I don't understand what you're saying. Yeah, I'm glad you caught that. <laughs> it's very fast. But yeah, I my grandma does speak Chinese. She speaks um, a, a version of Cantonese. Um, but I don't know what she says. And I think even when we go to restaurants, I think sometimes they understand what she's saying. But my family doesn't speak it. They had to relearn it. So my dad doesn't speak Chinese at all. My mother, of course, does not. Um, So I never grew up speaking any other language besides English. And so when you're a kid and you're like, oh, rep your culture, it's like, oh, no, what do you mean by that? Um, And I don't speak the language. We cook Chinese food, but like our version of Chinese food um, that sometimes we Google. Like I had to Google how to make soy sauce chicken and it Mm. does not taste how it should be tasting. (laughs) Um, Stuff like that. Like I have to Google all these recipes. It's not something that's innate. The things that are innate are things that my grandmother does. So later on in my 20s, I think I realized what my Chinese identity was until like my late 20s. And to me, it's my connection with my grandmother because she's like my cultural roots. And that's where a lot of my culture comes from. And that's just and that's also important to just to know your history as well. And just to know and and, and, and that's one thing, like even me growing up, like I'm a huge fan of anime. I'm a huge fan of J-pop and everything else like that. Yeah. So it kind of like fused uh, like that's why the website we have is Talks to Geeks as well, which is fusing of Western geeks and, and the East geeks and just put it together. Yep. And that's just basically how 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 we came about with that as well. And mm-hmm. another thing I wanted to just talk about is because you played ball because I saw, I saw you yeah. played ball. I saw I saw the pictures in the, yeah. in the press release. I was like, okay, you played ball. So, yeah. tell, so, so talk talk about a little bit about high school and mm-hmm. and with, with the main focus of Americanized. Um, is focused on is during that high school period so how was it being in that predominantly hip-hop culture type of high school era 
and yeah. you also just trying to find balance your two cultures and at the same mm-hmm. time of course i mean i think that i was experimenting with where you know everyone has a friend group mm-hmm. and sometimes friend groups are separated by race um but i think my groups never were because it was kind of a hodgepodge of people that didn't belong in other groups <laughs> and so mine was always diverse because we felt left out of their group so mm-hmm. mine was always like a, a mismatch but um yeah, at some point I tried to hang out with the ASU, Asian Student Union kids. I felt like I felt a little shade there. And I also feel like um, their culture is so different and they were so on the same wavelength that I couldn't be on the same wavelength. So I felt discouraged by that. And that's an internalized thing that I felt. But at the same time, I was playing basketball since I was a teenager, since like 13. So I played other leagues before that in middle school um, when I was younger. So by high school, it's like, well, yeah, of course I'm gonna try out for the team. So I was on the basketball team. I was the only Asian kid my freshman year, um, but it didn't really matter. And I didn't notice it until people were like calling it out um, because it's the thing that you don't think about, of course, in a school that's so culturally diverse that you're like, well, yeah. But in the locker rooms, it's just funny because um, we're just all so different. But at the same time, like they never cared I was Asian. It was never even a conversation. It was more like you care if you're good on the court. So if you had a bad game or if you fucked up during practice and made us do suicides, like you're gonna get shitted on. So what I wanted to convey with this team was like, on the Asian kids, the ego was just more like about self and identity and culture. And then on the team, it's all just player ego. So that incites a lot of like issues when you like you're doing bad on the court or whatever, whatever, it causes a lot of conflict. And so there are two different cultures to talk about. And, and that's one thing I always was fascinated, especially when it comes to sports, that is, is always, once you get on the court, race, identity, none of that matters. It's about no, how if you're good, good or not, you're 100%. If you don't fuck up the game, if you don't fuck up practice and make us do like make us do runs or whatever, you know what I mean? Like that's all that matters. And that's what I really I mean, I I wish I can do like a longer version of it because I think there's so much to talk about when it comes to athletes. And I think that too, there's not many films or shows of you know, female athletes that feel like Friday night's true. Like mm-hmm. we beat each other up on the court. You know what I mean? You don't see that with exactly. a lot of people. So I want to see them like pushing and elbowing each other. Cause that's what it was. Like we're just angry kids that hated people and things and everything, you know, we're like teenagers and you just take it out on the court. Exactly. And another question I want to ask is let's, let's talk a little bit about the writing process of Americanized. So obviously this is a little based on your life. So what part, when did you when you started writing this writing the script when did you decide okay this is the part i wanted to this is the part i wanted to talk, talk about right here i mean so americanized is a lot of it's based on true experiences from when i was a kid up until even now as an adult but culminated in the day one day in the life of a teenage girl so a lot of the dialogue is true a lot of the instances are true i knew i wanted it to be about a breakup of a friendship because it, it came from, um, so I used to dance in high school and uh, there's this girl that like I was cool with who was a dancer also. And we were cool in class, but not in the hallways. Hmm. And it's such an easy way to think about like the dynamics of high school where you're cool like in the situation you're supposed to be cool in, whether it's in the team or in class. But when you leave class or you leave the team, you don't really sit together at lunch. You don't really talk to each other in the hallways. Mm-hmm. So, you know, long story short, um, there's a situation where in the bathroom, her cousin tried to get her beanie up. 
and I feel like we were like nose to nose and I remember looking at her and I knew she didn't want to fight me it was more because of the pressure of her cousin. It was a long story. It's always the cousins. I it's always the cousins. She said, you want to talk shit about you like that? And I was like, well, I was not even doing anything like that. I was like inciting something. And I, she was she was honestly, I walked in on a moment they were having. I threw out a joke because we have an inside joke. And then her cousin didn't know it. So she's like, are you going to talk shit about my cousin? And I'm like, no, it's like her thing. But she didn't say anything. Mm-hmm. So she's like, I'll go fight her or whatever. It was just the three of us. And so she like kind of walked up to me out of pride. She did it very slowly, like she didn't really want to ramp on me. But it was like a moment of like, we both don't want to do this. So I just like dropped her and ran. Because <laughs> I was like, <laughs> and, um, but I think what I wanted to get that feeling of is like high school has so many of it's not as easy as popular and unpopular you have so many of these like nuanced like individualism between these groups, whether it's on the team, whether it's in class, whether it's ASU kids, like you, there's so many rules that you have to follow that are invisible. And so I knew the story was about a break of a friendship. I knew it ended in a fight. I didn't know how to begin it or end it. So I wrote an outline, like 50 outlines. And I told my friend, I read it out loud because whatever. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, and then she gets punched and I told her about the grandmother and she's like, that's a beautiful story. I'm like, no, 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 that's the beginning. <laughs> that's just the introduction. I didn't even write the whole film. She's like, no, that's the film. It's a day in the life of a girl. So she, she's a, a screenwriting professor. She helped identify, like, it's just about that one moment leading up to the punch. Mm-hmm. So I understood that and walked it back and was trying to find the nuance to, to kind of gain it there. I think that's why Stephanie, the other character, is such a strong character. And she has the most arc to, to really go through emotionally. So I really strengthened her character because it really just had to do with her and Stephanie, really. Which was just because the, oh, I don't want to swear the ending, but oh, what yeah, you alluded to, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> what, you, what you alluded to was just <laughs> like, that's, that's where I was just like, Wow, because I wasn't expecting that when I was watching it. I was like, because I, 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 the way they, their relationship was in the beginning, you're just like, yeah. okay, she was supporting her because she was getting yeah. ripped on because she was getting benched. And right. then at the, when she got put, put into the game and then she, you know, did what yeah. she did. And then we got that compass like, oh, man, I was not expecting that. It, it was just like that that break. It was like, wow, that's a nice twist because I was not, that was just like, you was not expect. I mean, I had a feeling that okay, she's gonna triumph. <laughs> that It'd be that easy. <laughs> yeah, I didn't expect that something else was gonna fall. Like mm-hmm. okay, there's that short that 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 high came and then boom. Yeah. You know, and then it just ends on this kind of like kind of somber note, mm-hmm. but at the same time, it just it really makes you want to know more about the story. And Thank you. yeah, and we're gonna head to the next section, which is every journey has some roadblocks, some challenges. So what was some of your challenges of getting the project together, whether it was writer's block or filming, or what was some of your challenges? I can't even talk about writer's block because everyone knows that's a thing. I mean, this is my first screenplay, so it took me like a year and a half, two years to even get it on the page and to refine it in a way. So it's definitely like 30 drafts for 16 pages. But so I'm not even going to talk about that. But I mean, it's it's a low budget short. If you're anyone out there who's doing a low budget short, don't do sports. It's very difficult. It's difficult because of, re- you know, resources. You need two cameras, you need an audience, you need a team. 
So it's like, you have to cast a whole basketball team and the team that you were actually on. So not only that, like, you know, the talent pool had inflated, but I had a really great producer, Simon Mahal, who really held it down. She's a local uh, Bay Area producer. And she asked like a lot of the community to help, um, whether it be like donating equipment or getting people up here to go from LA to the Bay to work locally. Um, she really pieced together this production and that felt like it was really supported by the community and the Bay community wanted to support it. So that was a really, really great, lovely feeling of having everyone being so supportive. But we prepped for like months. Like mm. I, 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 my personally prep was like eight months because I had to go back and forth from LA to the Bay to like see my teacher. Cause we filmed at my old high school my old teacher, Mr. Fry, who told me I should be in film. I asked him for help. And so he helped me get Skyline. Um, so I kept going back and forth from the Bay to here. So like that much prep led to four day shoot. That weekend of the shoot just so happened to be the same weekend as the open fires. Um, like across the Bay Area, there's tons of wildfires because of like, I don't know, global warming. And so they're gonna shut down the power to help ease the spread of fire. It just so happened the one weekend that was the worst was our shooting weekend. <laughs> and so they were gonna shut down power to Skyline High School, which is in the hills the whole weekend and we we're shooting the whole weekend <laughs> so the day before the shoot my producer Simran my AD Dominic Martin <laughs> I'm sure they're having a moment but at the same time like they're trying to pick out scenes that were all natural light maybe we can shoot that first maybe the power come up later we're gonna rerun to schedule the day before the shoot how do we do this and I remember just having a moment of like everyone flew here or drove here from LA. Mm. We have an amount, like an immense amount of crew and extras and equipment waiting for us. If it doesn't happen, then it's just meant to happen that way. Yeah. And we would have had to stop the shoot and it would have killed me because I, you know, this is my savings. And I had a very easy calm about like, maybe this is good maybe pressure makes diamonds you know every shoot has chaos and sometimes chaos gives off this energy of triumph in a way and I was like sipping on some whiskey at 11 a.m <laughs> and having my moment and thinking you know what fuck it if it doesn't work then we'll work it out next year if it doesn't great and so it did and the power went on at least by noon so we shot natural light at the first half of the day and then we were able to get power at noon so we shot our film <laughs> and, and that's that's one thing i i it's just always something that's always, always this, something this, this always never pressure makes diamonds y'all like i think i've had some shoots that went fine like it was like oh, it was easy going and everyone had a really relaxed day we wrapped on time or early but you know the my favorite projects are the ones that we overcome that that hurdle not because we overcame the hurdle or because there was a hurdle but i think it was something i don't know to do with the energy of everyone is hyper concentrated because so much is going wrong and we don't want anything else to go wrong i think something about that energy collectively mm -hmm. is works sometimes and i'm not saying all the time i'm not saying try to make it happen but you know, don't freak out if something bad happens. And then if it does happen, you have talented people working with you and trust your team. And I had a really, really great team. And that's one thing I also want to discuss really quickly was that you touched a little bit of that. You said jokingly, don't 
film sports for your first time. <laughs> Don't do it. Because <laughs> like, I was watching the, the basketball scenes was really good. So how <laughs> like how many takes does it take? Like, you know, for them to actually get the shot in and you know, you know it, it, a lot of people ask me that, which I love. I love that people want to know that because it is harder to film sports. One, but two, like, you know, first of all, I the game in my head, I mapped it out shot-wise and emotional beat-wise. That I was uber prepared. I did a camera map of the whole uh, of the whole gym floor, so I knew the camera placement for each uh, beat of the game, and also the play in the game was actually written to the script. So of course, because I play basketball, and I had a consultant, uh, Tiffany Pack, who works for the Warriors, uh, she was able to lend her expertise too as a coach, and really, she's not a coach in the Warriors; she's a coach in general. Um, but she was able to lend her eye to the beats also in the script. So one, I camera mapped it. Two, um, I covered it with my DP, Daniel, um, Drew Daniels. Um, but three, like, yeah, the plays were already set. It's no like guessing where the ball's gonna go. So we had beats where we're just focusing on the actors and the emotional arc. And we had beats where just to cover shot in the basket. So our B camera, Tyler McFerron, a great DP in the Bay Area. He was our second B cam op. We got a couple of shots in there just for cutaways, just in case that happens. But, you know, Stephanie, I mean, Amber Gaston from uh, That Was Stephanie, she played ball. So she made some baskets when she wasn't supposed to. Uh, <laughs> she's supposed to be missing the ball. Um, and then uh, Tori was played by Sahara uh, Ali Speaks, and she was a D1 college basketball player. So she kept making the ball because Scotland was supposed to be losing. And they kept making baskets. I was like, you guys, <laughs> we got to cut it and then have them miss it, but miss it the right way. So Sahara is such a pro. I'm like, I want to bank off the, the right side and then hit left. So she knew how to bank it. So it hits and then we get the rebound. So that's like the whole moment of making the shot at the end of the game. Sorry, spoilers. But so one, I had some really great talent. Two, coverage, of course. Um, our lead player, Terry, never played ball, never touched a ball, never dribbled one. So I had to coach them in how the etiquette of like the posture, um, just like the fundamentals of how to shoot, how your elbow, how your elbow looks, everything two weeks before the shoot. So they had to accomplish a whole lot. It's just body language. Like if your upper body shows it and you know where it's going to go, even in having that control, um, then it looks convincing, but a lot of it is body language. So I had to teach her the body language and then teach her just, you know, the elbow thing, of course, as everyone knows the elbow thing, uh, something like that to make it look real. That's impressive because I, I was watching, I was like, how do you pull this off? Because <laughs> I, 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 I could yeah. just imagine it in my head because like the amount of preparation just for, just for the actors as well. Like mm -hmm. you just said, Terry never played. So imagine it's like she, she had to learn like quickly how to dribble the ball, how to right, how right, keep right. the posture. Yeah. To, it's, it's, um, what position did you play? You played point. Guard. I played. No, I never played point. Goodness okay. me. <laughs> I played small forward, but I was more of a shooting guard. Okay. I, was, I was playing shooting guard. I thought I want to be a small forward. I played small forward my last year of basketball because uh, I had a better shot than a better dribble. But I wasn't okay. fast enough for a small forward. Um. But if anyone shoots basketball, what I would say is that we shot all the close-ups at the first part of the day with no audience. So you only saw one half of the court and it was only focused on the emotional beats because Stephanie has three beats of failure, missing the basket, falling down, and then losing the ball. So those beats were isolated and we covered those emotional beats. 
So when the audience came, we just kind of covered the wideness of the room and the coverage of just like moving around the court with the two cameras. But it was more important that the emotional beats were there because it's not just a sports film, it's a drama. Yeah. So that has to be really apparent. Um, and just like we're able to isolate every single beat with Stephanie, isolate it with Terry. Um, yeah. And we're going to go to the next section, which is called Destination. So mm-hmm. obviously filming's done. You're going to the film festivals. You're, you, it's finally out there. People are seeing it. You're getting nominated for awards. You're winning some awards in these, some of these film festivals. How did it feel that your baby was out there and you just... Was it just a sign of relief or what were you going through when it first screened and going and going through the motions? Well, I'm the kind of person where nothing's perfect and Mm. everything is okay. So when I finished my edit, my editor is going to kill me, but I, because I also edit too, unfortunately. So we passed back and forth the edit, even after edit lock, even after we launched picture, I still tinkered with it and it drove everyone nuts. And at some point it just had to be done. So when we were releasing and I was like, I hope it works. <laughs> Cause I, didn't, I don't know if anything's good. You're so in your head. You're like, Oh, that is it mixed? Well, I can hear this and that. I still hear like things in the mix I don't like. So I, there's always something, but I think I had to make peace with a lot of decisions I made and a lot of things that I had to eat because of production reasons, because of these reasons. But I think ultimately the validation kind of came from people liking it. And so I don't think I liked it until other people liked it. And unfortunately, I'll have to get over that eventually in my life. Right? I'm, I'm the same way. I'm the same way when it comes to my comics. It's like when I was writing my first two and the one third one I'm reading right, I'm writing right now, I'm always like, like the first time, like I love it. And then I'm just like, you know, I could have, I could have, I could have changed this. I'm like, it's such, it's, it's, this, it's that perfectionist. And in, yep. in I noticed that with a lot of my guests, like we all have this, like, yep. I, I wish I could have just went back and do this. And maybe if I could just, you know what, I'm just going to release a, a new version of it. Just going to update it. And just, <laughs> just a little thing right here. It's not that new version. Yeah. I don't, I stopped doing director's cuts because at the end of the day, what I'm realizing, because I mean, I've made like some stuff. Hmm. I mean, like sometimes I get like a hundred views. Who's going to watch a director's cut on the same video that barely got a hundred views? Like no one cares that much. You care. And so I had to, in a way, care less, Mm -hmm. but in a productive way of like, hey, it's done and move on. You have other things to do. And I think more of my journey as a filmmaker is like letting, you know, letting it go and letting it be. And final section we're going to ask you is, it's called the road ahead. So is there anything that you could tell us so probably next projects or something that you, else that you're working on? Yeah, I mean, hopefully it can be turned into, you know, a series or a feature. I mean, I think we're still kind of working on that. Um, but I just finished my next short film. It's nothing, nothing that I wrote, um, but it's called Off Fairfax. And um, it's about three friends who try to solve um, one of America's uh, biggest crime mysteries. So that's more of like a drama thriller world, um, which is kind of what I, I like to do. Of course, it's like, you know, emotion, emotion drama thriller. Um, so yeah, I'm in post on that, doing sound. Um, so we'll see what happens with that one. And how can people follow you? Uh, do you have any social media, public social media that fans can follow you or and keep up to date? 
Of course. Um, Instagram and Twitter is Miss Erica Ng, M-I-S-S-E-R-I-C-A-E-N-G. And my website is just ericaeng.com, E-R-I-C-A-E-N-G.com. And thank you, Erica. And uh, everybody, uh, this has been Imaginative Business Journeys. This is episode six. Erica, it's been a pleasure. Thank you very, very much. Um, hopefully, we'll have you back next year to um, we'll talk about your next projects. We'll keep, uh, we'll keep you up to date with everything. Thank you very much. I love much. that. Thank you so much for having me. Pleasure. Thank you for joining us for Imaginative Visions Journeys. If you enjoyed this episode and you'd like to help support the podcast, please share it with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and review. To catch all the latest from Imaginative Visions, you can visit imaginativevisions.com.